Uh, We are continuing our series entitled Church IRL, Church in Real Life. And we, as we've said many times, we've gotten lots of positive feedback with our live stream, and we've worked hard to put that together. Uh, many of you continue to ask if we're going to keep doing it. Yes, live streaming is a permanent part of TFRC. Uh, many of you have commented how nice it is to watch from home. There's nothing like doing church in your PJs. I get that a lot. Um, and when you watch from home, uh, you still get to listen to the message and listen, uh, be a part of the music and hear what's going on at TFRC. And it would be really tempting to sort of ask yourself, well, why bother actually coming to the gathering? And look, for some of us, we do need to stay home with the virus. Uh, In this series, we are stressing the importance of in-person gathering, but in that, we're not trying to guilt trip anyone to come before you feel it is safe. Wait until you feel it's safe. Um, But the point here is that when you feel it's safe to come back, Um, Why would you bother coming back when you can see everything from home? Um, Why gather in person? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, For 2,000 years, the church has gathered together in person. Uh, There have been times when the church has gathered in secret, and even in the world today, there are still places where the church isn't allowed to gather, and yet the church continues to gather. Um, And what is it about getting together that matters? Um, Our scripture reader this morning is John Koenig, and so John, if you can make your way on up to the podium. As he does so, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. And um, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, both as individuals and as a community of faith. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, um, whenever you are ready, John, uh, please read from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. John, thank you very much. You may be seated. One of uh, my family's favorite places to go when we go on vacation is Disneyland. Everyone in Disneyland, raise your hand. Any Disneyland fans? Yes? Okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. Um, you know, there was one time when we went, I can't remember exactly how old my kids were, but we somehow um, got passes to get into the park early. Um, and when does, and Disneyland does this, they will print a certain number of tickets that let you get into the park early. And uh, when they do that, uh, they let people only into certain sections of the park. And so it wasn't just us that was in the park earlier. There were easily several hundred people um, in there, but even several hundred people in limited parts of the park, the park still felt uh, really empty. And so when we got in, we made a beeline to Thunder Mountain, which is the train roller coaster that goes through the Wild West. And uh, we actually got there fast enough that we were on the first train of the day. It was really awesome. Um, And then after we did that, the next thing we decided to do was go hit Splash Mountain. And if you're familiar with Disneyland, uh, you know that to go from Thunder Mountain to Splash Mountain, you got to go by Pirates of the Caribbean as well as the Haunted Mansion. And normally that part of the park is packed with people. 
But as we made our way to Splash Mountain, um, there was literally like no one there. I don't remember passing a single person as we made our way there. And it was so weird walking through that part of Disneyland and it was empty. Um, and then there was no one in line for Splash Mountain. There was no one coming up behind us. Um, and it just kind of got eerie. It was really weird. And I'll never forget that experience. And I'll always remember something that kind of dawned on me as we were going through that. Is Disneyland without the people is not as much fun. Now, okay, crowds are pain. People are pain. I get that. But the people with you at the park, they make the experience. That's part of the experience is all of the people. And whether it's the people who are excited to be there or the people who are happy to be there or the crabby people who are there or the families that are just wiped out and you can tell that are there, they all add energy to the experience. The crowds, they really are a fundamental part of the Disneyland experience or any theme park, I would imagine. And likewise, people are a fundamental part of the church. Getting together like this, it's essential to the church's existence. Gathering, gathering defines, it's one of the things that defines the church. The church is talked about often in the New Testament. Uh, the word church itself actually appears over a hundred times. And every time you see the word church in your Bibles, it's coming from the same word in the original Greek. It's the word ekklesia. Church is, anytime you see the word church, it is always translating the word ekklesia. And ekklesia simply means a gathering of people. And while the Bible uses the word to describe the church, ecclesia, the Roman world in the time of Jesus had all kinds of ecclesias. Again, an ecclesia is just, it's a group of citizens who are called out from their homes for a public gathering. And when it's not used in the church context, it's used in reference to a civic gathering. If we were to apply the word ecclesia to our times, um, we would be talking about some examples of ecclesia. It would be like city council meetings, uh, high school graduation ceremonies, that kind of stuff. And what makes an ecclesia an ecclesia is the gathering. Think about it. You can't have a city council meeting. You can't have a high school graduation ceremony if literally no one shows up. People gathering part is what defines what happens there. Um, and this is true for the church as well. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes, uh, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. Paul references the church that Aquila and Priscilla are a part of. And that church is identified by where it gathers where it meets, in their home. And throughout the New Testament, churches are identified by the locations of where they meet. Churches either, again, in the passage in Corinthians, the province of Asia, but there are churches that are referenced in the New Testament. The church that meets in Corinth, the church that meets in Ephesus, the church that meets in Rome. Again, it's the ecclesia, the gathering of people. 
Gathering is a defining characteristic of a church. And if you go back to Hebrews 10, the passage that John um, read, and you can see in verse 25 where it says to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, there is no church if we don't show up. And I feel like I need to say this just one more time. In the age of the virus, we need to stay safe. And for those of you who don't feel safe yet, it's okay to keep watching from home. It's better than nothing. And I know that many of you who are staying home, you miss being here. You've told me that over and over and over again. And so this isn't meant to be a guilt trip on you. But my point is that watching from home is not meant to be a permanent replacement for this gathering. There's this cliche that the church is not the building, it's the people. And that's true, but that's not completely accurate. The church is not the building, it's the people who gather together. If we were never to gather, we would not be the church. You can't have a church without a people, and you can't have a church if those people don't show up, if they don't gather. The church is not just followers of Jesus, it's the followers of Jesus who get together, who gather. It's a defining characteristic of who we are. And gathering is key to our calling. If you look back at the passage in Hebrews 10, where it says in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Love and good deeds are not things that just naturally happen in us. They need to be prompted. And if you think about it, what is our most familiar use of spurs? Well, at least mine is to get horses moving. That's what we use spurs for. Well, we need each other to get us moving in our faith. And we can't do that if we don't show up. It's a key to our calling. And one of the things that Jesus calls us to is to bring light to the world. Um, sometimes as a church, we forget that calling, that Jesus said things like, hey, you are the light of the world. And you don't take a light and hide it under a bowl. Let your light shine before others. You know, we see what's going on in the world and how that is a threat to who we are and how what's going on in the world is a threat to our faith. And it's easy to get into this circle the wagons mode where we prioritize protecting ourselves from the world. And that's not what the church is about. The first thing Jesus says about the church in Matthew 16, he's talking to Peter and the other disciples, and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my ecclesia, is what it literally says there. My people who will gather, and the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome it. And I just want that to sink in a little bit. Whatever the gates of Hades can do, whatever the evil one can pull off, it cannot overcome us when we gather. You are the church and the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. If we stop gathering, well, then we're going to be in trouble. And I've pointed this out before, but it's worth repeating in my mind. In a battle, if you're in a battle and you're using gates, 
What do you use gates for in a battle? Okay, if you think you know the answer to this, you can tell the person next to you uh, and show off how smart you are. But are gates in a battle an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon? Tell someone next to you if you know. Gates, offensive or defensive? What do you use gates for? Gates are a defensive weapon. And so if Jesus says that I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my community that gathers, my people who gather, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, who is on the defense? Hades is on the defense, which means the church is on the offense. We do not gather so that we can defend ourselves against evil or the evil one. We gather so that we can take it to them. We are on the offensive. We are on offense, and we bring the light to the world, and the evil one can't stop us. The passage says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that word consider means put some thought into it. Okay, don't just go out and random do just things randomly. Think about it. And it's going to take more than simply our individual effort. It's going to be a collective effort. You know, Christy just talked about summer serve and summer serve. How many of you did summer serve last year? Just raise your hand. I just want to see. Okay. Summer serve is literally us gathering to spur one another on towards love and good deeds in a neighborhood in the area. It's bringing light to the world. Uh, the mustard seed, that is a strategic ministry of good deeds, bringing light to the world. A uh, McCallie's home in Malawi, Africa. It's a strategic ministry of bringing light to the world. The Sage, Sages Women's Center, formerly known as the Pregnancy Crisis Center. It's a strategic ministry bringing light to the world. There are all sorts of ways that TFRC, this community of faith, this group of people who gathers is bringing light to the world. And the evil one, evil one can't stop it. For everything Hades can do, they can't stop what happens when the church gathers. Gathering together is essential to fulfill our calling to bring light to the world. And we are also called to build up the faith in each of us. If you look back in that passage of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, verse 23, where it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It's basically saying, don't ever stop hoping in Jesus. Don't ever stop hoping in Jesus. But um, how quickly do we get discouraged? How long is it going to take today before we hit some kind of discouragement? Are we going to make it through the end of the day? Make it to Monday, Tuesday, what day? What? How long is it going to take? Not very long. It happens all the time. And sometimes we put our hope in the wrong things, maybe certain financial investments or political causes or social issues or whatever. And if that is the kind of things that we're putting our hope in, well, we're going to get discouraged all the time because the world wants us to hope in temporary things. And those things aren't bad necessarily, nothing wrong with that. But there is no hope like the hope we have in Jesus. There is no hope like the hope we have 
in Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that all the time. Our faith is supported when we gather. As it says in 1 Corinthians 14, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Uh, before the shutdown, I shared a little bit about how I started going to the gym. Um, nothing serious, you know, like I would do 30 minutes of cardio three times a week. I did some light, keyword light weightlifting, uh, three times a week. But I did those on different days. So six times a week, I was going to the gym. And I was able to maintain that for well over two months. I would go six days a week. And then the shutdown hit. And, um, and again, before the shutdown hit, when I was going to the gym... I often saw other people that I knew, and that motiv motivated me to keep doing my workouts. And then when the shutdown happened, um, to be completely honest, I could have kept doing my cardio and light weightlifting at home. Do you think I did that? No, I didn't do that at all, okay? I streamed, I did a lot of binge television watching. That's what I did, okay? And now the gyms are back open, and have I gone back to the gym yet? No. Okay, because I got a whole lot more TV to stream, to binge watch, okay? <laughs> Going to a place where others had the same values, built those values in me. And likewise, coming together builds our faith values in us. Because the faith that lives in you builds up the faith that lives in me. And hopefully the reverse of that is true as well. Gathering together builds up faith in each of us. And gathering is more critical now than ever. Look at one last time in the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, the uh, second half of verse 25 towards the end there, where it says, um, talking about gathering, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the day there is a reference to the day of Jesus returning. And as that day gets closer, the more important gathering together becomes. And I've said this before, my whole adult life, people ask me, do you think we're living in the end times? Meaning like, is Jesus coming back in the next couple months or next year or two? Um, and I've been asked that in the 90s and Y2K and the beginning of 2000s and in the 2000 teens and uh, this year, you get asked that all the time. And again, and while you could... In, in one sense, they were living in the end times back when Paul was writing this stuff, okay? And so in one sense, we are living in the end times. But if you're asking, like, is Jesus coming back in the next year? My answer is, I don't know. I don't know, which is a really disappointing answer, okay? I get the same look every time. Oh, that's great. Thanks for your help. Um, are we living in it? I don't know. And really, nobody knows. In fact, uh, anyone who claims that they know exactly when Jesus is coming back, they're probably selling a book. I'm telling you, no one knows. Um, I don't know if these are the, the end times, but these are strange times. And we need to stay together any way we can. Gathering together is more important now than ever because even though we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return, his return is closer now than it ever has been. 
Um, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus has seven messages for seven different churches. And at some point in every one of those messages, Jesus says, and I'm just going to quote it out of Revelation 3, whoever has ears, let them hear what the, church, what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit says to the churches. Not what the Spirit says to each individual believer but to the churches. What we know as the book of Revelation was originally a letter, a letter that circulated to seven different cities in what is now modern-day Turkey. And when the letter arrived, the believers of that church in that city were called together, and as they gathered, the letter was read to them as a church. And the Spirit still speaks to the churches. Again, we had a congregational meeting last week. I selected new elders and deacons, approved finances, made some changes to the building project. We don't have congregational meetings simply because of democracy. We do that because we believe the Spirit speaks to us together. And the Spirit continues to speak to the church. It continues to speak to us. God is active in the Magic Valley and has a plan for us, a plan for us as a church, as a group of believers who gather. We gather to hear what the Spirit has to say, to encourage each other, to build up each other's faith, to fulfill our call, to bring light to the world. Gathering is one of those things that defines who we are. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Please pray with me. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that your spirit is in our presence even in this moment. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in our community, the community that we call the Magic Valley. And Lord, I would ask that you would continue to open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, and be open to what it is that you have for us, both as individuals and as a community of faith. And Lord, I thank you for this gathering for this group of believers and the huge encouragement they are to me. And Lord, um, I would just ask that you would continue to lead us into all the different um, good works which you have designed in advance for us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.